Hey everyone, Ken here. Just wanted to bring you up to speed on a few items. Here at Do Theology, we've been rather interview heavy for the last few months, and I do hope you've been enjoying those. But I want you to know that Jeremy and I do plan to begin recording and releasing more episodes of him and myself discussing theology, just like the good old days. Uh, we've both had full summers, lots going on, uh, but there's light at the end of the tunnel, and we're getting more settled as we anticipate getting into the fall months. And I know that Jeremy and I are looking forward to that, and well, I hope you are too. For today, we are releasing three more interviews we conducted at the IFCA International Convention back in June. The first guest is Eric Mock, the Vice President of Slavic Gospel Association. SGA has been on the front lines on the ground in Ukraine helping uh, the humanitarian crisis that has arisen from the war going on between Russia and Ukraine. So listen for some of those details. He shares about some neat opportunities there. We also talked to Bill Dickens, Director of Chaplaincy for IFCA. IFCA has a long history of investing in and caring for chaplains from our armed forces or police or firefighter chaplains. So he's going to share about that. And then David Giles, who I believe was the oldest attendee at the convention. And you won't want to miss the story he tells at the end about a time his father believed the rapture was happening. It's pretty good stuff. Well, we hope this is edifying for you, and let us know. Reach out, show at dotheology.com. Without any further ado, right after the music, we will have our interviews. Neither Bethel nor Hillsong meet the biblical definition of a true church. Did you know that Jesus was born again? Is his view heretical? If it isn't, then there's no such thing as heresy. It's not just a black and white issue. There's an issue, there's a question of moderation and how damaging and how harmful things are. Not every act of divine revelation is equal in authority. Angelic forces, angelic reinforcement. I mean, it's, it's hard to even respond to that, isn't it? It's, it's mind-numbing, it's blasphemous. When the apostles use the word atonement, they do not depict an angry God. It's cryptic. It's watered down. It has nothing to do with the judicial aspect of the Christian gospel. The most important of all doctrines is that the Bible is the word of God. They have different ideas than you do. You don't have to automatically kick them out of the kingdom. So now we are joined by Eric Mock with SGA, the Slavic Gospel Association. And Eric, I think it would be best if you introduced yourself. Sure. Uh, explaining what SGA is and your role in SGA. Well, SGA is, uh, has a long-term history uh, with IFCA. Uh, SGA was founded in 1934 by a Belarusian immigrant where they were fighting alongside IFCA to hold fast to biblical truth and, and in this case, to take the gospel back to the Russian-speaking people. Uh, through the 50s and the 60s, that involved broadcasts uh, of the Bible, even at dictation speed. In fact, people so hungered for the Word of God uh, that they would listen to the Bible broadcast across shortwave radio and they would begin to write down the words of the Bible because they didn't have a Bible. Mm. And so families had Bible two and a half feet thick and then uh, mm. they were afraid of the KGB so they would actually distribute pages of the Bible to family members so if someone got arrested they at least still had some words of the Bible there. So when the wall came down in 1991 they had no idea how to who to turn to. They only knew the Bible as their their guide and their authority. And so there was this inrush of liberalism, the inrush of, of false teaching. And so they actually turned to SGA and said, would you help us? Mm. And so what we do now is we have seminaries, Bible institutes, and church-based training. And a lot of the pastors that we work with are also teachers. 
but a lot of the ones over in Russia now and, and Ukraine and Belarus and Kazakhstan through Central Asia are now trained up and some have their doctorate now. And so they're teaching inside. It's about a 50-50 mix. Hmm. We get behind uh, the nationals. We really don't send Americans over full time. We send them over to teach. And uh, the nationals, we, we end up serving about 363 nationals. And then now with the fighting in Ukraine, it's an example of what we do. We equip the church for the work of ministry. So all the aid we're sending over to the Ukrainians, it's all getting into these churches who are building bridges with those in need so the gospel can go forward and disciples can be made. So everything SGA does is about getting behind what God is doing in those countries, equipping them for the work of ministry, and then sending them out to proclaim the gospel. And we, we've said SGA several times here. I'm not sure if we said what that stands for. Slavic Gospel Association. Yeah, and, so, and, and your role in SGA. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I am uh, the vice president of ministry. So uh, my responsibility is to oversee all, uh, all the ministries that we do in the 11 countries. And, and so it, it sounds like a lot. But when you rest in the churches... They become the infrastructure. So our organization in, ends up being small, although we do the greatest amount of ministry in those countries. Mm. And and so I, I, I become the problem solver. That's my job. Wow. And then I do teaching. Well, can you speak a little bit, too? You mentioned the conflicts in Ukraine between Russia and Ukraine right now. And uh, we were talking a little bit before about how so many of the other organizations that had gone in, many of them have, have pulled back out at this point. But SGA is still active. Can you speak a little bit about what things that our SGA is doing, and if people have a desire to help and contribute to that, what can they do? Well, I appreciate you asking the question. Uh, uh, a lot of what's going on there uh, really doesn't hit the airwaves anymore. Uh, it, is, it is very difficult. Uh, when, the, when the fighting first began, uh, it was horrendous. Most of us expected fighting in the eastern part of Ukraine where Russia would maybe establish a more firm beachhead. But the brutality and the extent by which they legislated war on, on Ukraine was far more than anyone expected. We immediately responded uh, by trying to send medical aid, humanitarian aid through the churches there. Uh, most of the capacity to send it through uh, the banking systems, the financial systems shut down. So we had to kind of use more clandestine means of, of getting the money there. So as Westerners were leaving, the interesting part, because we support the National Church, uh, our ministry grew, not shrunk. So what we're doing in getting behind the National Missionaries, I mean, the first two weeks when you have missiles coming into your house and, and your church is catching on fire and gunfire everywhere, uh, you're back on your heels. These guys were on their heels. But now 85 of the 104 missionaries we support in Ukraine are actually still in the fight. They're mm. driving into the fray. Even their cars are all shot up, rescuing people uh, that are hiding in the basement mm. and bringing them to the church. And these people would have never walked through the door of a church. And now all of a sudden they're hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're coming to faith. And these are trained pastors who are making disciples, providing biblical counsel and helping people through the trauma and the crisis that we're doing. And then recognizing the crisis, we have also begun uh, training. So we just finished 12 weeks of crisis counseling uh, using various uh, instructors like uh, Dr. Ernie Baker, Dr. John mm -hmm. Babbler, and we invited them to teach using the technology of the day. So we're just using Zoom, which allowed us to link in students in Israel and Poland as well as in, in, in Ukraine. And so we're also 
uh, launching even a dual uh, training program in Warsaw, Poland now with all the refugees coming in, uh, in biblical studies as well as trying to revitalize uh, the training program even in Kyiv starting this fall for pastoral training. So it's, it's well-rounded. We're continuing to not shrink back even in the, in the fighting and the missiles. Uh, I've been over there and uh, we're, we're holding ground by serving the church and holding fast to the authority of Scripture and advancing that. For the people who aren't there, aren't going there to Ukraine, just people around the world, mostly in the United States, who are going to be listening to this, in what ways can they be of positive help? In what ways can they support the ministry of SGA? Well, it's, it's, it's a couple of ways. Yeah, I, I don't want this uh, to sound contrite, uh, but prayer is, is, is their greatest authority and power. Uh, you know, you, you, you're, too many times you hear people say, uh, yeah, just pray, and yeah, I can do that. But we see situation after situation where someone's life should have been lost, and it's preserved. And you see people who have been distant from God in the middle of fighting moved in such a way that they arrive at a church and they hear the gospel message and and our sovereign god providentially works in this broken world to bring a people to him and so prayer is power in fact peter danica senior said much prayer much power little prayer little power no prayer no power and and so that was kind of really the fabric of the history behind SGA. But the second part is uh, we've, we're raising funds through something called uh, Ukraine Aid and uh, this crisis aid. Uh, they can go to our website at www.sga.org and they can sign up to be a part of our prayer team, in which case they're going to hear a story at 7 a.m. Every morning they'll get a story. I'm writing the story and it's, it's couched inside a devotional, so it's like having a morning mm. devotional. And then give. And, and, and the finances are, are going to three different levels. One is we're purchasing aid uh, in Poland, and we're shipping the aid through a network of churches into Ukraine, uh, truckloads full of aids. In the last four months, we've provided 83,000 bags of groceries, wow. uh, benefiting 66,000 families, provide, assisting with just under four million meals and and that's all in four months and we're forecasting that this is going to go on for the next couple of years and so we're trying to get in a position to help so pray and then as as lord leads uh, people to to give and and just know that the the funds are going to not only be used through the local churches so it's not just boxes of aid that are being dropped off that anyone can use it's always coming with the gospel mm. all the aid we provide is through the church with the gospel and it's also going to help uh, towards biblical training that we're trying to do one thing that just strikes me as you've uh, telling about some of these things is the opportunities that are there because of investment that's been going on for decades from the ministry of slavic gospel association to train locals to train the the men on the ground there not just sending in missionaries that we're going to yank out when there's crisis but the people that are they're there they're they're the nationals and it is through that now that there's this opportunity for the gospel to go out because there's this network that's been developed from decades of faithful ministry so that's a neat thing yeah and we saw that during covid Mm -hmm. uh within 48 hours of of all the covid restrictions going in they were hearing stories of mothers that actually wanted to hang themselves because they couldn't feed their children Uh, I heard in Belarus a grandma uh, that was out uh, pulling 
dandelions. You know, I, I like to use the weed killer and get them out of my lawn. She's pulling dandelions so she can make soup for the grandkids because they had no food. So you hear those stories, but within 48 hours, we're getting these stories back because we can send aid based on the fabric of the relationships that we had in these 11 countries. And we know it's going through a church that will rightly handle the word of God, who will make disciples, who will make disciples. And we didn't have to create, it it was amazing. So now when the war broke out, we didn't have to create a thing. All we had to do was equip the churches God raised up Mm. to do what God raised them up to do. Amen. Amen. And that's when it works. Well, Eric Mock, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for including me and, and many blessings to all the people that are listening to your podcast. You are uh, two men who are dear to my heart, faithful to the word, and I praise God for your ministry and what you, t- you both do. Thank you. Thank we you. really appreciate that. We are joined now by uh, Bill Dickens. He is the director of chaplaincy within IFCA. You want to tell us a little bit about your background, your role with IFCA? Okay. A little about what some of your, the work you do. Um, I retired in December of 2020 from the Air Force after 24 and a half years. Uh, at the time... Uh, didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, I, I was going to keep my civilian job. I was a reservist as a headmaster at a Christian school. And Les and Rob came to me about two years before retirement and asked me if I would step into this role. And so I retired on December 1st of 2020 and began this, this position on January 1st of 2021. Now, j- just for context, uh, Les is the former director of IFCA International, and Rob was the former director of, of chaplaincy. chaplaincy within Correct. IFCA. So carry on. Correct. Uh, and so I've been doing this for about a year and a half now. Uh, I was endorsed initially. I was endorsed by the Southern Baptist Convention, born and raised Southern Baptist. Uh, then I you, took, you sound the part. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was with the, with the exception of a few years in Chicago. Most of my life's been in the South. Um, uh, but I uh, uh, took a position at an independent church, and actually the SBC and chaplains have to be endorsed. If they lose their endorsement, they lose their commission. So. I went to the SBC and said, listen, I'm not going to be an SBC church anymore. And they actually pointed me to IFCA. Oh, wow. They said, we've had, we've had uh, uh, people in this position before, and, and typically uh, because of theological alignment, we, they, sent, they sent me uh, the IFCA, IFCA's direction. So ever since uh, 2001, I've been endorsed by the IFCA. Now, you mentioned that chaplains have to be endorsed or they lose their commission. How many chaplains are currently endorsed by IFCA? We have about 120, and that's across the military, uh, hospital, VA, Bureau of Prisons, jail, fire, uh, fire and police, um, uh, marketplace. It's all across the board. Right. And are these like missionaries? Do they get missionary support, or, or are they hired on by these institutions? Some of them are voluntary. Uh, a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, uh, the fire and chief guys are, are voluntary. Uh, hospital and, and VA, they're hired. Uh, Bureau of Prison is hired. And the uh, military paid by the DOD. Okay. They're actually a government employee. Gotcha. And, and how do you, what's a good definition of chaplaincy? I mean, say, we'll just pretend like someone has no idea. What is the role of a chaplain as opposed to a pastor, evangelist, teacher? Wow, that's a hard one. Uh, I had a student the other day ask me what I do as headmaster of the school, and I kind of scratched my head and said, you know, you asked me that, and I really don't know what I do. <laughs> um, there, you, you really have several roles. There is that pastoral role, you know, if you're, and, I, and I can speak with experience from the military side. You know, you're going to preach in chapels. Uh, you're, going to, you're going to do weddings. You're going to do funerals. You're going to do you're counseling, the same things that, that a pastor would do. 
you're also, though, going to uh, spend a lot of time out with the unit and the, the troops and the airmen and the sailors that you're assigned to, uh, spending time with them. Uh, so it's a little it's a little different than a pastoral setting, but the past the, but the military is looking for people coming in with pastoral gift sets. They're going to be uh, the Navy even has a checklist. You know, have they have they done communion? Have they performed weddings? Have mm. they performed funerals? Have they done counseling? Have they preached a number of times? And so the Navy is going to be looking. So they're they're very much looking for people with pastoral experience to come and fill these roles as chaplains. Mm. Can you speak for a moment to the importance of this ministry? and the unique opportunities that are present there? Uh, the chaplain has the, has the opportunity to go places that, that the pastor cannot go. Military bases are, are, are shut up tight, and so the, uh, the chaplain has the ability to go behind, that, behind the gate, inside. Uh, in the military setting, they, they carry rank, just like anybody else. Uh, they wear a uniform. Uh, they function as a soldier, a sailor, or an airman. Um, but they're they're giving a, they're given access that the normal pastor would not have. Uh, chaplains have been around since since early on in our nation's history, and it's been challenged several times. There have been people who challenged the legitimacy or the uh, the constitutionality of the chaplain, and uh, Congress has always come down the side that the the free exercise of religion for those soldiers, sailors, and airmen. Uh, supersedes any kind of establishment clause that people may bring up about the chaplain being paid by the federal government to perform religious duties and tasks. What are some of the per personal opportunities you've had that are that are notable uh, as someone may be considering the chaplaincy and you think about these unique opportunities? What are some that you've had that as you think back through your years of ministry? It's, it's been it's been for me very rewarding. Uh, you know it's it's you know, a lot of times when you're at a church, you know, in my, in my setting as at a Christian school, so I'm I'm around, you know, Christian families, for the most part Christian schools, Christian teachers all the time. Uh, you drop me into the middle of an air wing at an air base, and all of a sudden I'm surrounded by lots of unsafe people. And so, uh, you know, as the, as the Air Force would say, it's a target-rich environment. Hmm. Um, you get to you get to walk with people through difficult times, and, and even people who are uh, un, unassociated with the church or or would consider spiritual things not their forte. Uh, when the when the difficult situations in life hit, you'd be surprised at how many people will turn mm. turn to you. We had uh, a situation I was deployed to Iraq in, in 2007, and uh, we would get uh, we get these occasional rocket attacks, and you know the rockets that they would fire us are old. Some of them would explode. Some of them wouldn't. And after every rocket attack, we'd have to go out and do what they call a par sweep, and we'd have to walk around our area to make sure there's no unexploded ordnance out there. Well, one of the, uh, one of the young second lieutenants um, that I'd gotten to know, uh, he was an unsafe guy, and uh, he, was, he was in charge of the ammo dump. And the ammo dump is a huge, it's a huge area, and because when we originally took this airfield back from the Iraqis, you know, there was or unexploded ordnance all over the ground, so, they, so you had to stay on the road. If you went in the ammo dump, you had to stay on the road. So what he would do is par sweep, he would do it in a truck. Well, he rounded the corner one night after one of these rocket attacks and ran over the rocket. The rocket oh. had, it, it, oh wow! And, and so it was sitting in the it was sitting in the road. It didn't explode. The next day, he comes to my office, visibly shaken. He tells me the story. We sit down and talk a little bit. He gets saved, and I had the opportunity to baptize him in one of Saddam Hussein's swimming pools. <laughs> Whoa! So, 
So there, there are just some, just some unique opportunities wow. that you just don't get the opportunity. You know, get, and there, you know, there were times that I pinched myself and I said, "Hey, I can't believe that I'm, hmm. I'm getting to do this right now." So hmm. there's some unique military, some unique ministry opportunities that you get. If someone has on his heart to be a chaplain and just doesn't really know where to get started, what do you recommend to somebody who wants to explore that ministry for himself? Okay, uh, there are a number. The, the DOD has a number of requirements. You have to have a master's of divinity degree. Uh, you have to uh, you have to be endorsed, and the endorsement process is uh, uh, is quite a uh, it can be a lengthy thing for for us for our for our chaplains. They have to become IFC international members first, and then they apply for uh, endorsement. And that endorsement requires and it has an application. It has a spouse's form that they fill out if they're if they're married. They have to have four references. We have to have a uh, copy of their ordination certificate. We have to have transcripts from their uh, uh, from their uh, master's degree and undergraduate degree. Uh, they also have to have some ministry experience. And so, one of the great one of the great things that, that some of our IFCA churches can do is if they have a young man who's interested in this, give him give him some of the, give him some pastoral opportunities. You know, let him preach occasionally. Let him uh, let him uh, help with a wedding. Uh, let him do a funeral. That type of thing. Uh, and then there's an interview. And they would interview with me and, uh, and our, our chaplain commission. And if uh, if things go well, then I would send uh, the form is a DD twenty eighty eight. I would send it which, to whichever branch uh, that they're applying for. What is there? What about like the lowest level entry level? Here's stateside, not military, hospital or um, police force, like you were mentioning. What is that? Simpler to get into those? Like if, if someone says, "Oh, an MDiv, that's not in my future to to do that." What could they do? Yeah, uh, most hospitals and, and oh, most yeah. hospitals will requ- will require an MDiv. However, uh, police, uh, fire, sometimes they do not. Local jail, they do not require that, and so that would be an option for somebody who said, "No, the MDiv is not for me." Um, and uh, they would go through kind of the same process uh, because the endorsement is the endorsement. Some of those don't even require endorsement. And so we've actually had some people who have been serving those capacities who have then come to us and said, hey, I, I want this extra credential. I want this endorsement that says, that says IFCA or Bible Church's chaplaincy is behind me, and they've, they've, they've put their stamp of approval on me. Oh. Okay. And how do they get in touch with you? Uh, they can, uh, if you go to the IFCA website, look under Ministries, there's a chaplain button. You go there, and it, it has all of our the application forms and everything else. Or they can email me at dickens at ifca.org. Cool. Very good. Well, I don't know if you know off the top of your head how long IFCA has endorsed chaplains. Do you know that answer off the top of your head? I, I don't know that off the top yeah. of my head. I would, I would venture to say probably uh, World War II. Okay. Wow. It's been a long time. Yeah. And, and this has been something that our fellowship has, has really cherished. And in, 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 um, every year at the convention, there's chaplaincy reports. Uh, we're praying for our chaplains. We value the work that they do. We're so very grateful for the service that you've provided, that, that others are providing through the uh, serving our servicemen and women. So yeah. we thank you. Well, and, and, and that's, it's needed, too. These, uh, these guys do, do a wonderful job uh, with what they do. Mm. Uh, but there, there, there is kind of that constant attack, and there's that constant pressure from – you know, could be even well-meaning commanders to, to, to go a little further, do something a little different. And, the, and, mm. and so these guys are pressured sometimes to go beyond uh, whether, it's, whether it's 
IFCA doctrinal statements or even their own personal convictions. Mm. And that's, you know, one of my roles is to come in then and support them on the backside and say, no, they will not do this, mm. or no, we do support this, this personal, personal religious conviction. Wow. Yeah, well, hopefully this has whet the appetite of some people who are listening. Yeah, uh, shoot me an email. Yeah, sounds great. Very good. Thanks for joining us, Bill. Thank you. Yeah. All right, well, we're back here at IFCA convention, and we're sitting here with my new friend, David Giles. How's the convention going for you so far? I enjoy these conventions very much. It's like homecoming. <laughs> One of the... Uh, features of the IFCA is individual members have to renew annually. Mm. So we're a group of volunteers. Mm. And it's family. Yeah. And that's what's so delightful. Well, I, I kind of hate to lead off with this, but I, I want to. You're 91 years old. Oh, yeah. The Lord's been good to me. Your first IFCA convention, you told me, was 1948? That's right. I was 17, and I went with my father to Grand Rapids, Michigan. M.R. DeHaan was the host. At Calvary Church, very memorable. What have you seen since 1948 in God's church here in America? <laughs> oh, boy. I think the IFCA is needed more than ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, the doctrinal statement of the IFCA, of course, I expect every denomination thinks theirs is the best, but, boy, we honor the Word of God. And uh, the fact that um, we believe in our Creator, and that uh, Christ died for our sins, and He's going to come again and establish His kingdom on earth for a thousand years. It's a, it's a blessed hope, isn't it? Amen. Yeah, and we pray for His return. Well, you've—I uh, was just trying to do the math in my head. How many conventions that is? Have you been to pretty well all of them over those? No, that period, no. You know, it's difficult sometimes to make the arrangement. When I was in the army for 26 years. We often moved in June, mm. and that almost prohibits going to a convention. And then when you're overseas, like we were twice in Germany, mm. it's difficult to come back to a convention. So, no, I haven't been to all of them. Okay. What years were you in Germany? Oh, boy. I'm very poor on dates. My wife, knows, okay. my wife knows that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, were you there when uh, everything was going on with Berlin? I, I with was, the wall fell? I went through the Berlin Wall several times and visited East Berlin, and um, I was over there when uh, President Carter was president. Oh, okay. And, of course, you're sort of not involved in the, what's going on in the States when you're out. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I didn't know anything really in my own experience as to what the nation was going through when President Carter was president. Wow. Yeah, I've, I've never been to Europe. I've only been out of the country once. I went to Canada for half of a day when I was 10. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that hardly counts. <laughs> Join the army. <laughs> <laughs> no, no thanks. <laughs> well, so, so were you engaged in pastoral ministry after your time in the military? Or is that, tell us a little bit of timeline of your ministry experience. Well, you know, I joined for, th- for three years. Uh, I was quite young when the Second World War started. And those were very patriotic years in our nation. And I felt I needed to give three years to the country. Mm. And when President Johnson was building up for the Vietnam War, at the IFSA convention, which was near Chicago that year, Dave Meske and some of the other chaplains you know, challenged me to consider it. 
So I wrote a letter to Chief of Chaplains, and I was accepted. You, you would have been yep, in your 30s at the time. Yes, I was too old to get retirement benefits. Okay. I didn't join for retirement purposes. The retirement age for chaplains then was 55, and I was almost 36. I would miss it by a few months. But after I'd been in a year, they raised the retirement age from 55 to 62 and voided the waiver. Oh. And I liked it, and the wife liked it, and the kids liked it. So I just stayed in, and I did get the retirement benefits. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. the yeah. Lord's grace, isn't it? Yeah. I, <laughs> he's led me all the way. <laughs> so in all of your years of working with people, and it sounds like you were raised in the church? My father was a preacher. Yeah, and, okay. And he left the Presbyterian Church and joined the IFCA. His brother in Wisconsin had preceded him. In, uh, in fact, I think my Uncle Fred was one of the co-founders of the IFCA. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So um, having been involved in church ministry at some level, even just as a kid, just being around, uh, and working with people your whole life, Yes. Mm-hmm. what have you learned are the most important things when it comes to caring for people as a Christian, as a man of God, as somebody who has the responsibility of the Word of God in his hands? I I think uh, when I was a hospital chaplain when I was in the Army, I ended my uh, 26 years at Walter Reed Hospital. And um, I, th- I think to love people is the key. I remember going down a hallway and knowing I was going to go into this room and I wouldn't know who was there and sort of frightening sometimes. And I say, they need love. And uh, when I walk in to concentrate on their needs, their hurts, and so on, listen to them, and love them, and then share the gospel. And I've also found that if they have some little bit of background in the church, it's so easier, much easier to connect than if they have none at all. Yeah, yeah I can imagine that's true. Now you said that your, your father left the Presbyterian church to join the IFCA. He was voted out. He was voted out yeah. of the Presbyterian Church. Okay. It was not volitional. <laughs> well, it's just it's an interesting thing. You know, today we think about where, where the Presbyterian Church is today, and we would think, okay, that there's no level of compatibility with IFCA doctrine in so many ways. Was, were things different in those days where there was more compatibility, or was there an actual doc- doctrinal shift that had to happen for him to be able to join the IFCA? I think uh, the, the teaching of evolution was really in its heyday when my dad was mm. active. William that, Jennings Bryan uh, and when, those guys, it would have been shortly after them, right? Machen? I, yeah, Machen, and uh, that, that was part of the issues at that time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, yeah, he. I think he he would have stayed if if uh, they'd let him. But uh, there was a very liberal preacher coming into the presbytery, and he spoke against him. And it's interesting sometimes how those who have gone liberal, even though vocabulary changes, and this man was using words that we wouldn't use, oh. and uh, and it was obvious to everybody. But the vote went for him and against my dad. So. Mm. So were you born in 29? No, 31. 31. Okay, I was trying to do the math on all of that. Yeah. Uh, and so your dad was born in, you remember? I know you're bad with dates is what you said, and here right. I am asking. Uh, he was born, I think, in 1893. Wow, okay. Yeah. He was 34 when he got married. Uh, he came from England. Huh. Yeah. Oh. Mm. Uh, okay. Yeah. 
So he would have, yeah, he would have known firsthand then very intimately that modernist versus fundamentalist controversy in the Presbyterian church. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Because yeah. I've, I've only read about it, of course, in books. Yeah. Uh, and it seems like so long ago, but so much of that, it, it kind of seems like we're going through again uh-huh. here in America. Yeah. My, my dad uh, was a real man of God. And uh, I, I, my, my wife doesn't like me to say this, but my dad was blind in one eye and very limited vision in the other eye. He would never be the pastor of a big church, you know. Uh, but he was faithful, and he was a worker, and he had a good sense of humor. For example, back in those days, you had a phone in the kitchen on the wall. Yeah. So dad's at his typewriter trying to get his message ready. The phone rings. Mom answers the phone. Moody Church is without a pastor at that time. And my mother says to dad, it's for you. He gets up and goes to, to the phone, and on the way to the phone, he says, I don't want Moody Church. I don't want Moody Church. <laughs> that's a, that's, he accepted who he was and his limitations, and he loved the Lord and, and uh, with good humor. It was, we, we, we had some trying times, I mean, uh, just financially, for example, and, and I learned how to trust the Lord, and I... I've never worried about where a dollar would come from because we, we've seen the Lord supply sometimes right at the last minute. But it's wonderful to have that experience of having to depend on the Lord. Yes. Like my dad and mom did, yeah. Yeah, yeah the 30s were a difficult time. Yeah, they were. I brought on the Depression. My birth did. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you made a comment where we were just beginning, saying you believe that the IFCA is needed now more than ever. Why? Well, we have that blessed hope, don't we? And uh, the impact of the Scriptures to preach, expounding the Word of God and teaching, that's so wonderful. And you just, we, we believe there's a future for Israel, for example. And uh, we have a concept of life that is the truth. John wrote of Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in Second John, Third John, he emphasizes the truth. If you're in truth, you're in obedience, you're in love, you're disciplined. And deception is dark, hate, evil. Don't associate with it. You know, there's a Psalm 1, it's the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous. And, and we're seeking to present the truth, and which promotes love which, well, that's the IFCA, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, they say in our past, a lot of our founders, great men, and some of them came along, and they were fighting a rear battle. Mm. I think we've turned around mm. under Les Lofquist and others. I mean, I, we're growing in, in the fact of embracing. Well, my first convention when I was 17, this is, I'm sitting next to a guy, and I'm reading the doctrinal statement. And it says that the ordinances of the church are the Lord's Supper and baptism. That was it. And I said to the man next to me, it doesn't say anything about believers' baptism or immersion. He said, you mean you wouldn't want John Knox to belong to us? And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. That, that's some of the founders, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, dispensationalism was born out of Presbyterianism. Right, exactly, yeah. Lewis Berry Schaefer was yes. Presbyterian. Yeah, he was buried... Just weeks before I went to Dallas, and John Walbert was on, you know, he was kind of temporary, the president, and then became the president. Uh, Yeah. 
1948, your first IFCA convention, that was the modern state of Israel was recognized in 1948. The, the first time I went to a convention. Right, yeah. yeah. The, the first convention was back in about 1930. Right, yes, yeah. but your first convention. Yeah, my first convention. That had to be a, a buzz in 1948 at the convention. Oh, yes. They, they felt that the Lord would come back within a generation. Right, yeah. right. Oh, expect, I could tell you a funny story, but I don't yeah. know if you no, want to. No, do it. Go ahead. Well, it was a very beautiful spring day, Saturday. The sky was just a, not a cloud. Hmm. It was just a beautiful blue. And my dad came running in the house. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Hmm. So we all went outside, and we were standing in a circle holding hands. And there was a big letter F in the sky. And my dad said, for the Lord himself shall descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God. And then there was an I in the sky. And my dad started quoting scripture that started with I. We had never seen sky riding. And with my dad's lighted vision, he couldn't see the plane and neither could we. Oh, my. And it was a local brewery, Vitker's Beer. <laughs> <laughs> and we dropped our hands and went in the house. But, I mean, the, the expectation, I just thought I was going to float up. Yeah, I, I float, yeah, right. Yeah. So I, it's, it's, it's wonderful to live with that expectation, to live with that expectation, isn't it? Yes, yeah. it is. Yes, it is. That, what a wonderful story. That was delightful. Yeah. And, and so obviously the Lord didn't come back no, within no. a generation. No. So what do we say to that? He's going to come anytime. You know, if he'd have set a date, you know what had happened? Hmm. We'd have forgotten all about it. Yeah. It had been lost in history. It's so every every generation, right starting with the disciples, they expected the Lord was going to come in their lifetime, mm. and that's what keeps us going. Yeah. Wow. Well, Mr. Giles, thank you for joining us today. Well, I'm not charging you for this interview. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Okay, thank you.